you intrigued to know how ChatGPT and AI could help you in your real estate investing business. My guest today, Scott Bywater, is one of the most sought after marketing copywriters actually in Australia. And in our conversation, we talk about AI and how it can be utilized by real estate investors to put together marketing messages, emails in particular. We have quite a discussion around emails and how you could be using email. I do find a lot of real estate investors are not using their emails. You know, they collect emails, but then they're not sending messages out to people. And Scott really gets into, you know, the benefits of doing that, both from a financial point of view, but also in a relationship point of view and building networks and building further connections. And, and also goes into the kind of messaging that people can use and why they should be really taking email seriously as a marketing tool. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are. Because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. All right, Scott, thank you for joining us today. As I'm speaking here, I'm rubbing my hands because it's freezing cold here in Canada. You're in Australia near Sydney, so I'm guessing it's not minus temperatures or anything like that. But, no, it's, uh, it's actually one of the hottest periods of the year. We've had a pretty ordinary summer, but yeah, the last week has been sweltering even at six. 6.13 a.m. <laughs> no, and, we, but, and we appreciate you getting up early to, to join us. So we were chatting just before we kind of started and we were talking about email and we're going to kind of get into that. But I think you kind of highlighted something that was in the back of my mind was, and I think a lot of people, when they're trying to create an email, are sitting there racking their brains about, well, what's the subject line going to be? And you offered that, well, really, that should be the last thing you're thinking about. You should be thinking about writing something first and then the headline, but how do you even start writing? What are the kind of things that, how do you come up with content? What are the things that people need to think about when they're trying to come up with an email that to even send out to people? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Cause I think there's two things that holds people back in terms of email and sending emails to their list. And one is not knowing, yeah, not knowing what to write about. Like people get stuck and they're like, I just don't know what to write about. And two is the blinking cursor syndrome. So they're staring at a blank screen and like, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I don't know what to say. So they're the two things that really hold people back from that whole process. And I think with technology, with the recent advances, advancements in technology and particularly with like AI software, if you know how to use it, and that's a big, if you know how to use it, because I look at AI technology as a bit like a chainsaw, it'll help you chop up wood a lot faster, but if you don't know how to use it, you could chop your arm off at the same time. So it's really critical. To, it's like any tool, right? It doesn't matter what tool it is. You can give me the same tools as a professional builder, and I'm not going to be able to build the same house as what he does. So it's critical to know how to use it. But th those two fears, like with AI technology, you can go, you, know, you can use it 
to brainstorm. I like to think of it as a brainstorming buddy. That's probably one of its most, one of its most powerful uses. So you can use it and you can ask it. Like if you're as a real estate investor, you can give it commands. You know, give me 10 topics for a great email for a real estate investor would be a very simple command, but then you can break it up and you know, chop it up into different categories. And you could literally get hundreds of ideas on what to write about literally within you know, 10, 20 minutes. That could all be there. So, so it helps overcome that sort of concern. And then what to write about, if you know how to program the AI, it's very useful for that side of things. Like the thing to keep in mind is most people sort of think what they do is boring. It's like you do it every day. It doesn't really excite you. If you're a real estate investor, you know, you're going through the motions, the same as me, the same as you, Paul. It's not like super exciting because you've done it, you know, a hundred times before. But to someone who doesn't do it, it's actually very interesting. So a few things to keep in mind as well is one of the questions you constantly get asked from clients. And that's a great place to start. What are the myths in your industry, which really just frustrate you because you know they're wrong, but so many people believe them. So that's a really good place to start. What are the problems? What are the fears, the pains, desires? false beliefs that your customers have. And that's also a really good place to start. So all of that is really critical. And then what you, if you understand, because the key with copywriting and email copywriting is no different and branding, I'm sure is no different, is to understand the conversation going on in the customer's mind. So once we understand that conversation, we know what to write to them. Right? And that's really key. And you mentioned about copywriting and email copywriting being very similar. Is that the case that what you write for a web page can be very similar for an email? Or would you say that email tends to be a little bit more kind of maybe personal because it is a, even if you're sending a bulk email, it's a one-to-one -one interaction or communication. Is that right? Yeah. And I think you're, you're spot on. Like it's very similar in the way that you really need to understand your customer on a deep level, but the way you communicate an email can be very much talk as you speak. So before AI came along and well, you know, like the way I learned from, I, I learned that from Matt Fury, like 17 years ago is talk, write, talk, write. And I wrote an email every day for over a decade, every weekday for over a decade. And it was just. Yeah, literally I would just write as I talk. So it's very easy to do that via email. Whereas if you're doing a yeah, web copy or something like that, it's a little bit more structured in the way you're, you're communicating that message, but the same principles apply, understand the end customer and then get inside their mind and write based on that. And if you are that, using that kind of right as you talk, is it okay to have kind of slightly wrong grammar? And I mean, misspelling, maybe not, but something that I would say may not translate for somebody else, but that's okay because it's part of who you are. It's part of your personal brand, I guess, would be the best way to, to kind of pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it doesn't, 
it's not so important to be like, it's more important because if you look at copywriting, it's salesmanship in print. So if you would say it in a sale, in a sales conversation that you're having with a client, then it's fine to put it in email. So if, if you're talking and the way that you're talking is very personal and you know, you've got a certain approach that you take, then it's fine to transfer that over to email. I mean, what, one of the other strategies I like to use when creating email often is to use, which is another AI tool, which does all the transcribing at incredibly aff affordable rates. But what you can do with Otter is you can basically, let's say you've got a question that your clients ask you all the time. You can literally ask yourself that question and then answer it and then take the transcript and use it as a foundation for your email. So it's really just, it's you. I really encourage people to put themselves out there as them. And the more personal you can be, Paul, the better. So I haven't had many clients do this, but the ones that do, it allows them to really cut through because if you go to Google and you look up, if you look biography questions, okay, and you'll get a list of like a hundred biography questions, right? To write a biography. But then if you read them out to yourself or have someone read them and ask you those questions and answer them and you transcribe all that, you have answers to questions which make the emails really interesting. Like, was there something that you did when you were a teenager that you got in trouble for? Hmm. Or, you know, what's your, you know, what's your biggest, what's your biggest flaw or all of these sort of things. And that's what people really like. Yeah, if we look now in terms of entertainment, you've got these reality TV shows where people really like to peer into the background of your world and that sort of thing. And we can bring that into our email because the same psychology applies, whether you're on a, re a reality TV show or you're writing an email talking, it's the same two eyeballs who are looking at that. So, you know, like for instance, one of the things you'll see on every TV channel, every TV show does it, or it's a TV series or a morning show on a morning show, for instance, it, they'll say something like, come back after the break and we'll introduce you to a, a dancing monkey who eats chocolate. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to come back after the break, but now I have to, because you've set up an open loop in my mind. So you can do that to get the email open. You can do that. You can have free open loops in each email to get it opened, to get it clicked on, and then to get people to read the next email. That's interesting. I just want to circle back to Otter AI and a couple of other, your examples. What you're saying is record yourself speaking and let the technology do the writing per se, because yes. it's transcribing and then you're, and then you're tweaking. I just wanted to make sure people were kind of clear about that. It's, you're not typing into Otter, it's you're talking into it and then it's creating that all for you in written format, which is, yes. which is cool. And I think that's a big barrier. It goes back to that, what you said at very early on the blinking cursor, but if you're, if somebody's asking you or you're asking yourself that question, it's a lot easier for you to just start blabbering on than it is to start thinking, because I think we. And maybe this is school or whatever, <laughs> going back to childhood is you're always worried about what you're writing. You know, is the teacher going to pick me up on 
the grammar or the spelling or something. And then you start putting barriers in your way to even start writing. Whereas talking is, as you say, it's just like a conversation or, or something. And then I think the other thing that was interesting that you said is finding those stories and actually injecting part of who you are into the whole email that you're sending versus, and sometimes, and I've seen examples of this where sometimes the story is not even directly related to the rest of the body of the email. It doesn't always have to make a connection. Would that be good copywriting or bad copywriting or? Yeah. So, so like your stories, like there's always a way to segue, right? And the trick is to the, if you're going to use stories to think through the, how you're then going to segue into something interesting. So for example, so for example, and I'll just do this off the top of my head, but let's say you have a story about how you got in trouble as a teenager for doing something, right? So you have this, you tell this story and you say, hi, Paul, I can remember back to when I was 15 years old and my mates and I, we went out, we went out all night and then I came back in at, you know, I came back home at 5am in the morning and my parents were furious because we didn't have, we didn't have mobile phones back in those days. And so they were just, they, you know, they ripped me to shreds and I, yeah, I felt really bad, but this ability to break the rules actually works for you as a real estate investor. Okay, because like do you know what I mean? And then you just right. segue like into that. your message. Right. Okay. I like that. Okay. And you mentioned the three loops. I want to touch on that because that was a, an interesting term that you've used. So this is opening a loop. So this is the subject line. Is that what you're saying? So I'm getting, a, I'm getting my flood of emails per day and I'm, sk- I'm skimming, I'm scanning. Is there anything interesting? Is I'm going to get a hit of dopamine or whatever it is that, to make me open that email. So that's the first open loop. You've, you're trying, yes. to put some, trying to put something out. And do things, well, there's, probably, there's a couple of background questions on it. So do things like questions work better or sometimes is it statements? What, what in your experience has tended to work better? I oh, said so for the subject line, so the real key with the subject line questions can work well. The real key is to ensure there's curiosity okay. because that's what will get the, that's what will get the email opened. So it, it's about curiosity and also entering the conversation going on in someone's, yeah, in someone's mind. So that is really critical. So you know, like something at the moment which may be of interest to your target market is something like how AI will impact the real estate industry. And it's like, yeah, if you know your target market is interested in that, then likely a lot of them, not all of them, because we get so many emails, but a larger percentage of them will then click on that. And there's curiosity incorporated into that email, into that subject line as well. Now there is one word that I've found is one of the most powerful words to use in subject lines and headlines. And if you ask me about it at the end, Paul, I'll tell you exactly what it is. So what I've done there (laughs) is I've created an open loop 
right? Mm-hmm. So, so I could do that exact same thing at the end of the email. I could talk about, I could be giving great content in the email and talking about in exactly what we've done here. And then at the end of it, I said, there's one word and to find out what it is, I've created a report, which explains exactly what it is and how I can use it. Click here to find out what it is. Now, if you click on that link, then you'll probably download the report because there's just so much curiosity. It's like, what is that? What is that one word? So that's how you create the second open loop. And then the third open loop is, could be something like PS in tomorrow's, I told you about the, some of the most powerful words to use today in tomorrow's email, I'll give you the, I'll be sharing a story about the biggest mistake I made in my first job and how it can make you a, yeah, a top 1%, your top 1% investor. And then I look forward to chatting with you tomorrow. So I've sort of, I've incorporated three open loops within the email and there's nothing really salesy in that whole process. Yeah. And the people who click on that link will then be putting their hand up and saying, I'm interested in now being sold to. So what you can do then is you can have those people maybe download a free report and then go to another page where you, where you encourage them to book in an appointment with you. And then you can have follow-up emails just to the people who downloaded that report because they have shown, you know, they've shown specific interest. So you're not slamming your whole list with sales pitch after sales pitch. You're only doing it to the ones who put their hand up and gone, I'm interested. And I think you've answered a question or doubt that I think a lot of listeners have is, you know, a lot of real estate investors are looking to raise money or maybe they're on the other side and they're selling distressed properties or something, you know, they're trying to flip distressed properties or whatever it is. Their fear is that, you know, people are going to see them as salesy or pushy. And yeah. what you're saying is there isn't really a need to. You're kind of inviting people to put the hand up and say, yes, sell to me. Yes, a hundred percent. And I call it because the mistake people make in their emails is they either go one way or the other. There's, they're like full on salesy. I call it the scorched earth approach. So you can get some sales that way, but it's a little bit like when we've got the great barrier reef here in Australia, it's a little bit like throwing a bomb or a grenade in the great barrier reef. You get all these fish to eat today, but then you've got nothing for the future. So that's what some people do with their email list. And I've seen that, and it does tend to diminish its value over time. So it's very short-term thinking. On the flip side, you've got people who just write love letters to their email, what I call love letters to their email list, where it's always great content, but they never sell. And as a result, it's bad for both, it's bad for both sides, right? It's bad for them because they're not, they don't really leverage the email list the way they could, you can still get sales because people do build trust and that sort of thing, but not to the degree that you could, if you do it properly or on the flip side, they, you know, on the flip side, they stop sending the emails because they're not getting sales and the customer, and then the prospect loses out because they're not getting the education they need, because that's essentially what you can do via, e- via email 
is you can build a deep relationship and you can educate your clients. So it's like, it's win-win right across the board for everyone because everyone's getting value when it's done in the right way. But most, yeah, it's a crime. It sort of breaks my heart that more people don't do emails. Like you talk to so many people and it's like, I've never emailed my list or, and to me, it's like, like litmus.com has researched this and they found there's a 36 to one return for every dollar that you spend on email, which outplays everything. It outplays Facebook and outplays Google, TikTok, all of that sort of thing. And the problem is you don't necessarily get the vanity metrics. So sometimes you might send an email out, you don't get likes, you don't get comments. Yeah, and you go, oh, it it doesn't it doesn't work. Like you, you will get likes and comments, but you don't get it like you do on Facebook and Google and all of that sort of thing. But uh, on the flip side, I had a conversation with a guy the other day, and he says I had a TikTok video went viral, I got like millions of views, and I didn't make one dollar out of it. And with email, when it comes to ROI, there's just nothing. There's just nothing better. I've done launches with email admittedly with big lists, but where we brought in half a million dollars within a week. Just this week, we, we did, I did a, 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 it was a launch of a webinar and one of my clients got 500 people plus onto a webinar as a result. And it was only through email. And the other thing is to underline to people, email is still the, well, still it's the only communication platform you own that's that you control versus all the others could change the rules tomorrow and i think people forget this you know they forget that facebook changed things a few years ago and annoyed a lot of people or they forget linkedin did this a few years ago and, and annoyed a lot of people but that never happens with email the, well the worst that can happen is somebody says i don't want it anymore and they unsubscribe well that's fine you can that's fine. That's their choice. And you don't want to hassle people or bug people if they don't want to receive your messaging, but at least you control the email list. And it's a very good point. Like, particularly with what we've seen in recent years, like you can literally get knocked off. Like you can have millions of followers on any platform, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and be knocked off overnight. Like I've got a, I've got a client and who I've been working with for close to 20 years. In 2019, Google knocked them off. So they were in the nat- they're in the natural health space. Google got rid of them. They've been banned off so many of these platforms. But that the one thing they've got is they've got an email list of probably over 2 million people. So that is what has kept the whole business alive, right? And that's where the, that's where the power of email comes in is it, it's an asset. It's like building a, like, and as real estate investors, you would understand that it's like, it's like you're building an asset, which you can, if which, we apply which to re- the real re- estate. returns you $36 for every one you invest in it. <laughs> for every $1 you invest in it. Yeah. So right. it's so powerful and valuable in that way. And I do like your point. And again, it is, you know, if you've gone to the trouble of gathering emails, what is stopping you from using them? This is people that have said, yes, they put their hand up at some point or they've done something with you that has gone far enough that they've trusted you with their email. Because 
we're all reluctant to hand our email over nowadays. I mean, I know so many people that have a spam email because they want to sign up for stuff, but they don't want to continue to get the emails. So, which I guess is a difficulty element to the email marketing piece. And maybe we, maybe you want to touch on that, but I think the underlining thing is if you've got emails, use them and use them in a way that feels comfortable to you and doesn't have to be salesy is what you're saying as well. Yeah. And I think I, I liken it as it's like this, you know, the whole acres of diamonds story, you've got this gold mine in your backyard and you're going out and chasing rabbits elsewhere when all you need to do is go in your backyard and actually mine what's already there. And a lot of people might say, well, I've only got a small email list, for example, right. or I've only got, but here's the thing. Like I had a, I, I, I did an email launch years ago myself and I had about 7,000 people on the list and I had 200 paid clients. It was about 200 paid clients or 180, something like that. And what I found when I made 42 sales at a thousand dollars, when I crunched the numbers, about 80% of those sales came from the 200 and 20% came from the 6,800. So it's not necessarily about the size of the email list. So if you're in business and you've been in business for a while, I'm sure you've had you know, 50, 100, 200, 500 clients that you could then email to. And if we look at this, Joe Girard was one of the greatest car salespeople in the world. and He's got a book called How to Sell Anything to Anybody. And one of the big takeaways from that book was that you basically, the rule of 250, and that's that every person has 250 people that they can influence. So what Joe Girard would do is he would send a postcard, and this was before email, but if you bought a car from him, he'd be sending a postcard or a letter once a month, once a month for like forever. And he mm. built his, he became one of the best car salespeople in the world based on not, I'm sure he had great sales skills, but this was a major impact. This was a major part of the whole process. So if you're, cause I'm sure like I certainly have, I've had plumbers come in. I thought they did a really good job. And then five years later, you're like, you know what? We need to get another plumber. What were they called again? I don't remember. Yeah, and it's like, how often does that happen? Or someone says, you know what? I need a plumber. I'll go, oh, you should use this guy, but I don't even remember his name. So it's just so, so powerful in that way for, yeah, for every, every business owner. And yeah, as a property investor, that's no different. Like if someone's in, if someone's invested with you or they know, like, let's say they're talking to someone who's looking to invest and they, and you're seeing them an email every week or several times a week, or however often you're sending these emails, they're going to, you're going to be front of mind. Right. Now you've touched, you've you touched on that. How often should you, let's take a real estate investor that maybe hasn't done a lot with their email or maybe nothing. What should they kind of kick off with and how frequently should they be? emailing somebody. Yeah, hundred percent. So what I would be doing as a real estate investor, if I would start off by just providing some really good value to my list in terms of, uh, in terms of the email. So think about 
what are the questions you get asked on a really regular basis? And then I would write an email and say, hey, sorry, I haven't been in touch for a while. I want to start really adding some value and then just start giving out really quality content. Then after you've done perhaps three, six, whatever emails that are really good quality content, then you might send a survey out. And there's two questions. I've got a whole survey process, but two questions that I would suggest asking is one, is what's your biggest frustration with, in this case, investing in real estate, as an example. And the other one is, if you could ask me any two questions, what would they be? Hmm. And then what happens is you get the answers to those questions. You get those answers to those questions. You see, you sort of take the responses and you carve them up almost like a librarian, you know, filing, filing the responses and see what the most popular comments are and replies are. And then when you, once you've got those, de- once you've got those down pat, then you can, then you know exactly what, then that becomes your email calendar or right. your content calendar. And then you just start, it's, you've entered the conversation in their mind and then you feed it back to them and they like, they understand me, they get me, they know my problems, they know my thoughts. And it's like, of course we did because we've, yeah, just we've asked. It. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Great. Benefit of doing that survey too. And I haven't done this, but I was hearing someone the other day and they put an offer at the end of their survey. And they say it's one of the best ways to make sales as well. I.e., because you finished this survey today, what I'd love to do just as a thank you in the real estate investing space, it might be just like a consultation, is have a, yeah, is have a consultation with you where I can walk you through this and this. And then you could potentially book calendar appointments directly off the back of that survey as well. Nice. Nice suggestion. And yet I've got a question around sequences because, and maybe you can explain to people what an email sequence is just so, so people understand they may not know, but what's the benefit of putting it in some kind of automated sequence after somebody has signed up for your email list? You know, they want more information. You're still going to be sending that weekly email anyway. How, yep. how do you dovetail in a sequence to kind of, what are the kind of things that you should put into a sequence to, to make it worthwhile again, for people to open those loops? Yes. Yeah. No, great question. So, so with sequences first, the first sequence you'd want to have is like an onboarding sequence and what I, so that's, if someone opts in what are the first few emails they get? Because you want to build that relationship with them. And what I encourage to do there is two things. One is add a lot of value and two, share, share your story so that there's, that you build a personal connection, which models in the real world, right? Like if we meet for the first time, you want to get to know each other and you want to get value from those conversations. And then if that, if those two things happen, then you'll want to continue that, that relationship. So that's a really key thing in those first few emails is to have those onboarding, on, those onboarding systems really clear. And then following that, where the sequences are, you can use the sequences to take people on a choose your own journey sort of scenario. So if you're sending out a weekly email, then you might have in one of the emails, as an example, as a property investor, you might say at the end, you know, what are the, what are the, 
what's a, I don't know, the banking situation like right now? Download my free report on the banking situation. And then when I download the free report, you could put me on a sequence of three to five emails talking directly about the banking situation before I jump back onto the main list. So you could take me off the main list, send me emails about the banking situation, and then go onto the main list where you got the generic emails. And then you might have, then I might hit another email about, I don't know, a development that you've just got, you've just created that I can invest in. And then if I click on that to show interest, or I go in and download a report on that, I go on another sequence specifically on the development. If I don't respond to that, I go back to the main email list. So, yeah, but I'm not just getting a hundred emails about this development that I'm not interested in. Right. And I th there's probably some people sitting there panicking, thinking they've got to track all these emails, but obviously there are systems, the wonders of technology. Are there any recommended platforms that you kind of prefer to use or do that kind of sifting, I guess would be the best. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's plenty of platforms that'll do it. You've got, I mean, I use Kartra, which does a good job. You've got campaigns like Active Campaign, which is popular, Infusionsoft. The technology isn't so much the issue that will hold you back as much as, yeah, as much as like the strategy, like, because there's the technology out there, that stuff is really quite accessible today and don't get intimidated by this Paul. because 99% of email marketers, they don't really do any sequences. They don't do anything. They don't even get the emails out. So if it, like, that's probably high, yeah. So start, level. stop with MailChimp basically. Yeah. yeah or, start or, with MailChimp. Something, or something similar. And just get, if you get weekly emails out, you'll be miles ahead of most business owners. And then you might think about, okay, how do we actually step this up? That sort of thing would come, you know, would come next. And what about, cause you get, you know, these systems produce pretty good reports and, and detail as to, so you kind of want to track how your loops are working, you know, whether one yep. loop works better than another. So, you know, what are good open rates? What are good click-through rates? What are you seeing that somebody should kind of aim for if they're starting to send out a regular email. Yeah. And it really depends. Like the open rates, you'd probably be looking at, I mean, they can vary between five and 50%, depending on the, you know, depending on the market, I, on probably not on the market, on the relationship you have. So, and it will depend on different subsects of your list too. So if you've got someone who's downloaded a free report, it's probably going to be a lower open rate than one of your best clients, as an example, right. because they're just, there's just more trust, there's more relationship built there. But I would be Boy. saying between 10% and 30% is quite a good open rate in terms of, yeah, in terms of, of open rates. Click-through rate is going to depend on like, because if I send an email and I'm like, hey, Paul, I've got this fantastic resource for you. It will show you the best property, the best way to, yeah, the best investments in property right now in Canada. Click here to get your hands on. If I send, that's going to have a way, way higher click-through rate than if I do a long email and then I drop a link in the bottom. 
But, and likewise, if I do a short email and send people to a blog post, so I can be a little bit deceptive because what it does when you do the long emails is it builds like quite a bit of trust. So if we look at, there's a book called They Ask You Answer, and there's Marcus Sheridan who wrote it. What he found, he was selling swimming pools, and he found that if someone had absorbed 30 or more pieces of content, the conversion rate jumped when they got to a sales meeting from 10% to 80%. Okay, so it's like a a massive jump. And this, he was was talking about blog posts, but the same concept applies, whether it's emails, whether you write a book and you get it all in one setting, whether you send people to a webinar and they get pretty much 30 pieces of content or 15 pieces of content in one setting, trust is built over time and over consumption. So that's where email can be quite powerful is I'm reading your emails once a week. I've been reading them for one to two years. And then I reach out to you and and the same with the podcast, right? If I've listened to hundreds of your podcasts and then I reach out to you, there's a certain amount of trust and that sale just becomes very easy. Right. Good point. Now you kicked off and you talked a little bit about AI. What else do real estate investors need to be aware of? When it comes to AI, how can they be using it when it comes to email and copywriting? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So we touched on like AI as a brainstorming buddy, but when you see the AI in action, it's just amazing what it can do. So I've literally, like I've got someone going through my program at the moment and it's, uh, he's a coach and he's got a VA from the Philippines and the VA is literally put together, yeah, reports just using the AI, like white papers, free reports, just using directly the AI. Once you know how to program it, once you know how to program it, so you can put together multiple reports, which can then be used as lead magnets. And it actually writes the email, like there's templates. I spent about 20 hours almost like coding the AI. So it would spit out the right information tailored where it, once you understand your customer's fears, pains, desires, beliefs at a, de- at a deep level, you can program that into the AI and it will literally write the email. It'll write problem aggravation solution emails. It'll write myth busting emails. It'll write Q and A emails. Yeah. We've even got one in there for like a Frank Kuhn interest story template. So you literally give it the prompt. <laughs> And it will just, it'll just write. It's almost like magic when you see it. Yeah. You give the prompt and where it's powerful is like, well, the way most people are using it and it's amazing. Like you go into chat GPT and you write me an email to a, you know, from a real estate investor to a client asking them to invest in their property and it'll come back and it'll be like, wow, that's incredible. Where it misses it, where it misses the mark for because everyone's got access to this technology now, right? Can all jump in there and do it. So where it misses the mark is a granularity, is a personalization. So if you, yeah, if you know how to do it, pro- yeah, if you know how to do it properly, and I use a platform called Jasper, and it's almost like a Google Doc. So you can use the AI, and you can say you can get it to write the opening, you can get it to write a sample story, you can get it to write. Yeah, most of the email, but then you can go in and you can personalize it. So you can go in and you can add, or you can go to Otter and go, I want to throw in a personal story here or my personal answer. So you go to Otter, 
you talk it, you transcribe it, you pull it into what is essentially a Google doc and you've got this hybrid of AI, but also you. And I think that's going to be the critical thing because AI can be dangerous. Like people using it for blog posts, for example, I was hearing the story the other day that their SEO got smashed because the SEO could now tell that it was AI. So you've got to do combination. And I've got another friend who uses something called originalityai.ai, where he'll use the AI and then put it through that to make sure it all, <laughs> it all comes out as original. Yeah. So there's, there's, so there's AI to make AI sound originalist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it checks. I think originally yeah. AI checks and goes, right. is it flagged? Yeah. That's fascinating. And this is just the start, isn't it? So what I'm hearing, I think a lot of people are kind of saying, oh, well, the, you know, this is going to end the need to have copywriters and, you know, whatever else. Yeah. Yep. What you're saying is if you want, if you want to stand out and you really want copywriting your emails to resonate, you've got to bring that personal touch, that personal feeling, the emotional side of it, which AI is just not going to be capable of doing. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the way I like to explain it is like, we've all got an, we've all got iPhones, right? Or we've got a Samsung or whatever, but we've got a smartphone. Now I know people who can create magical videos with those smartphones and they can create incredible stuff, like stuff that will bring you to tears. It's just so, so good. I've got the same tool as they do. And I can't do that because I haven't learned the skills to be able to pull that off. So it's very much, it's very much the same with any skill, any technology. It's all about, it's all about having the skills to actually be able to use it. And I think that's going to be the key. It's definitely going to change the game in terms of copywriting and writing, but what it does from an email perspective, it gives the business owner you know, the property investor, the opportunity to do it themselves. Because like, if you hire a professional copywriter, it might be $500 an email. Right. Now you can put together a pretty decent email yourself within a matter of minutes by using some of the AI tools once you know how to use them. Right. So it literally allows them to actually use it, which has been my frustration over the years because I would only work with like, you know, big clients in a lot of cases because the average business owner doesn't want to pay five grand to write 10 emails. So this changes the game where it just makes it very easy for, you know, to whip those emails up yourself and therefore get results from the acres of diamonds that are sitting in your backyard. And what Scott's really saying under, underneath that all for the listeners, there is absolutely no reason why you should not be sending emails from now on because you've now got tools to help you do it, to make it a lot easier. A couple yes. of questions, a couple of questions, Scott, I like to ask people before we kind of wrap up and let people know how they can find out more from you. Who is your favorite brand? Who, oh, who do you like? I really like Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because he's got I mean, the models he's created, like he's created amazing mental models, which have just, you know, gone through the, uh, which are almost in, within the entrepreneurial world and the investing world and that sort of thing. People just 
understand, they get, and he explains it very clearly. And I also think he's very authentic in the way, like he really stands by his values throughout the process and he's willing to, yeah, he's willing to stand up for what he believes in. So I really like Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. That's a good, that, that will resonate with the audience for sure. Yeah. I think Rich Dad Poor Dad is probably one of the number one books I hear mentioned on real estate podcasts as being a, the influential book, the book that somebody picked up and that's how it, how they got started. So you're right. Those quadrant formulas, they're so intuitively easy to understand and it's smart, but it's getting the right wording goes back to what we've been talking about. It's the right words in the right place for it all to make sense. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And do you have, apart from maybe Rich Dad Porter, do you have a favorite business book or podcast that you like listening to? Yeah. I mean, I like, uh, like I like that book is probably like one of the most practical ones for it's the ultimate sales letter by Dan Kennedy. And okay. that's probably one of the most practical books for someone who just wants to dip their toe in the water with copywriting. Yeah. And it gives them like really good examples that you can then go and apply immediately. And even as a professional, like he's got some questions in there. Uh, I go back to about page 12, the 10 smart market diagnosis and profiling questions to understand your target market. And uh, that I constantly use when I'm working with clients. So yeah, that's that, the ultimate sales letter by Dan Kennedy is a, a great book. And uh, pon podcasts, I really like Screw the Commute by Tom Antium. Okay. And he's, I think he's just, he's quite entertaining. He researches really well on, on his guests and he sort of brings out some really unique and it's very, pra it's quite a practical podcast as well. So yeah, I really like, like that one too. So for anybody listening, if you get the chance to see the video, go back and have a look at Scott holding that book up because that is one of the most well-worn books I've seen a guest bring up on screen. And it really does show you that he has, he does use it because that's the classic example. It's the well-thumbed copy of a book. I love it. Shakes it. Do you have a, so we talked about tools. So do you have a current tool, like a new tool that you're using, really enjoying using at the moment? That's pretty helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, Jasper is one, which I've mentioned from the, from the AI side. And the other one I really love is Scrivener, which I sort of discovered. I just had an intuitive hunch. I needed to start to look at some copywriting software and it's meant for novelists, not so much for copywriters or that's the way it's positioned. But it's just been a game changer from a writing perspective because what it can do is that you can cut the screen up in half so you can have your research on one side and your writing on the other side. And you can have all your folders, like all your different research folders within the same framework. And it's just been, I'm like, where, why did it take me 20 years in, <laughs> in my profession to, to discover this? It's just been amazing but i don't think it's just uh, like it's it's actually quite inexpensive it was less than a hundred dollars i think so i think anyone could use it like if you're doing regular emails you're just dropping you know like ideas in there you can drop ideas in the folders and it's just all in one platform you don't like google docs and you're opening and there's like 30 screens open and all of that sort of thing it's just all really nice and tight good tip i like that and do you have a, a favorite quote inspires you or motivates you? Yeah, no, I really like Ayn, Ayn Rand. 
And one of her, one of her quotes is the ladder of success is, I'm pretty sure it's along the lines of this anyway, it's a ladder of success is built on the rungs of opportunity. And I think that's, yeah, that that's very true. You know, we all need to take yeah, every, like, like I could choose not to be on this podcast, but you never know what's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like you never know exactly what's going to happen for it. And I'm a big believer in what's called optionality. So a friend of mine introduced this concept. He's an, he was an ex, he's, he's an amazing marketer, but he's ex-investment banker. Like I've never heard that word before, optionality. And so I really look at optionality. If I go to a, let's say I go and speak at a seminar or I go on a podcast, you never know, you're opening yourself up to 500 things potentially happening to you, right? And if there's 500 listeners or a thousand listeners, and I liken this to, and that's another great book too, is Richard Koch, uh, The 80-20 Manager. And I listened to this book years ago and I didn't believe in the power of networking in that until that moment, because what he says, networking and loose connections, he calls it. He says, it's like having raffle tickets in the game of life. He goes, you can have right. thousands of them and you never know when that raffle ticket's going to take off. So anyway, I looked at my best clients. I was sitting there in, I think I was in Fiji at the time and I'm like writing down all my best clients and then sourcing how I actually got them. And 80% of those clients came from loose connections, but it was often seven, eight deep. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like I met Paul at a networking event and tomorrow he became a client. It was like Paul introduced me to John, who introduced me to Steve, who introduced me to Sarah, who invested me in Harry. And like three years later, Harry became a six-figure client. And I think we miss those, we can often miss those opportunities if we're not aware of how the game works. Right. Great, great insight. Lo long answer it. to a short question. No, no, I love it. No, <laughs> I love going back, going back to your quote. I think that goes back to what we were just saying about email. It may not be the first rung, the first email or the second or the third, but it could be the seventh or the eighth or the 30th or the, or whatever it happens to do, but it's going to lead to success if you're consistent with it and you work at it. hundred percent. Like you send out an email and Paul reads it. He goes, oh, Scott writes some really good emails. And then Sarah jumps on the list. And then, yeah, next month, six months later, Steve becomes a client. Wonderful. Scott, I've really enjoyed our conversation. How can people find out more about you? Where can they, where can we send them? Yeah, no, great, great question. So the, the if they want, if people want to get a, done a set of cheat sheets uh, on the AI email copywriting. So I find that people really like that, you know, because it just gets them started straight away. You'll find that on www.simpleemailroi.com forward slash AI. So that's where you can download the cheat sheets and it's going to show you how to write like Jack in the box emails, literally within, you know, within minutes, you'll be able to, you'll be able to put them together. The other place they can find me is if you want to find out about my copywriting services, that's copywriting and the simple email ROI.com, you can go there and find out all about what's happening with AI. Yeah. AI, AI email copywriting. Wonderful. We'll make sure all of that is in, in the show notes. And again, Scott, thank you for all your insights today and have yourself a brantastic day. Yeah. No, you're welcome, Paul. Great, great to, and thank, thanks for hosting me. It's, it's been a lot of fun.
Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.